Well, I want to just, uh, again, thank you for being here today. And boy, we had a great service, huh? Boy, what, what good worship. It's just powerful. It's powerful stuff. And today I want to do something a little bit different today. I, I want to, in our preaching, I want to share a little video in a few minutes. But I want to introduce this video because this video can be maybe misunderstood. I, I'm, I'm convinced, and I've been studying and battling over this for the number of weeks here about this particular video, but the Lord clearly impressed upon me that he gives us godly interruptions. Godly interruptions in our, in our life, in our so smoothly worked out life. Sometimes those interruptions are in a dream. Sometimes we get a troubling dream. Sometimes we get a situation in our family or we have a health issue or we have a financial issue or we have a certain passage of scripture that just kind of rocks our boat or maybe we hear a sermon or something that just really kind of makes us unsettled and, and even sometimes these interruptions can be even a matter of life and death. Yeah. God is into interrupting our life when it needs to be interrupted. And it's how we receive these interruptions really determine who we really are. How do I react to these interruptions? Now, I know we just had a situation in a family here in town that just lost a dad and a husband. Totally unexpected. Major interruption. Major interruption in their life. Man, how do we look at these things? So today I want to bring an interruption here that will make us and hopefully introspect our life for maybe a correction change in some way, shape, or form. It's the, it has nothing to do with diminishing a great worship service we just had. We can get emotional and we can get wrapped up in Jesus and we can have all the trappings of what Jim just talked about, the beautiful-looking snow. But yet we walk out of this building and we don't really live like it. And sometimes we need to have an interruption in our life to make us think about what am I really living for? So this little video is going to challenge us today. And maybe we can see it as a way to give us a disruption or an interruption to a potentially dangerous lifestyle that we're living. Or maybe even it's, we may just have a, a complacently safe lifestyle that we're living but at the least, it can give us a minor course change. Rip spoke about that over the last couple of weeks, about course corrections. Loved his th thoughts on that. Or maybe worse, maybe we need a really complete change in direction in our life. Or possibly this might just act as a confirmation to you, well done, good soldier, keep marching on. Yeah, I, I, this is not insinuating anything of anyone. It's just bringing some truth to bear that we need to listen to. We need to look at it and say, Lord, is there anything in me? I've got to tell you, I've watched this video, oh gosh, a dozen times or more, probably more. Every time I get convicted by it. Every time it hits me. And I'm the pastor. I should be above that stuff, right? Nonsense. In any case, it's always good and it's wise to pay attention to one of these interruptions that God just might be bringing in our life. Jeremiah 12, 3 says, Yet you know me, Lord. You see me 
and you test my thoughts about you. Thank the Lord he tests my thoughts about him. Psalms 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. He's talking to Christians. This is David speaking. And then lead me in the way of everlasting. So every once in a while, it's okay to have an opportunity to look for a course correction. Maybe you could look at this as an opportunity to have a little pop quiz in the middle of life. A little midterm exam here. Are we living for Christ the way we think we are? So let's watch this little video. And let's just see what it says, and then we'll talk about it in a minute. You ever thought that there are people that have gone to hell today that never thought they would go there? I mean, they might have thought they would go there, but they never really believed that they would go to hell. They never actually knew what hell was going to be like. They never actually believed that they would someday go there. They probably thought they were good, you know. I mean, after all, they're Christians. Of course they never thought they were going to go there, but they're there right now. Many of them cursing God because some preacher told them that God was love and that love was tolerance and that God would never make them feel condemned. Ever heard the phrase, a little sugar makes the medicine go down? More like a little truth makes deception acceptable. I want to be very clear on something. I have a heart for every soul, lost and saved. But this video, from the very first idea of it until the very last edit that I made, was made for church people. I've spoken out in the past, and I think it's funny because a lot of church people have come up to me and they say, you're going to turn all the lost people off, or you're going to make sinners want to have nothing to do with you. They miss the whole point. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to church people. The people that already think they believe in Christ. The people that serve in churches. The people that evangelize the lost. The people of the church. You know, I'm going to tell you something. It is an absolute, no second question, no explanation, no hearing of your life story, impossibility for you to be saved and yet live in a continuous state of worldliness. And you say things like, God will forgive me. God has been with me since I was a kid. After all, I got saved a long time ago. Surely he will just forget about all this. You say things like that, but you keep on doing all of the evil you can. You intentionally indulge in your favorite sin, and while there's still time to stop, while there's still time for you to just think about it and say, no, I don't want to do it. In the same breath, you say, boy, I'm sure glad God is merciful. But Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father, looks down from heaven and he says, do you have any idea what your forgiveness cost me? I had flesh torn off my neck and back and legs. I had a crown of thorns jammed into my head. I was stabbed in the side. Gore gushed from my hands and from my feet and from my back just to cover the thing that you were so lightly indulging in. But in truth, these things that I went through in the physical, they were nothing compared to what I was going through in the spiritual. If you multiplied all of these physical things that I had gone through times a thousand, it still could not cover your one sin. Don't you know? God the Father beat me to pieces. He obliterated me beyond recognition. He took the cup of wrath that had your name on it and he splashed it onto my perfectly sinless and bleeding face. And what's worse is that God did this to me with a smile. It pleased him to crush me for you. 
That's what your forgiveness costs me. Most professing Christians have never realized their actual need for Christ. They've been invited to come to him in such a way that it seems like, well, I'm doing God a favor just to believe in Christ. They've never been told that the very first level of Christianity is a complete denial of all of your desires and of everything that you've ever been. They've not been clearly shown that whosoever does not wake up in the morning and die to every one of his desires is not even worthy of walking in Jesus' footsteps. They don't understand that being a Christian means that they are crucified to the world and that the world is crucified to them. That means that the world thinks of you as a fool that has nothing to contribute to society and that there is nothing that the world offers that you could desire. That you now have nothing to do with sin and everything to do with God. It hasn't been told to very many professing Christians that Jesus said and meant no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and you will love the other every time. If you do not mind it very much when people use his glorious name in vain, if you do not mind being seen in places that were built to be places of sin, if you do not feel deeply offended at the fornications in your favorite movies, at the scoffing of the glorious name of Jesus, and at jokes that defy his very throne and slap his face in rebellion, then you hate him. And it's really not hard to figure out because Jesus said, you will hate one and love the other always. If you love the world, you hate him or else Jesus was wrong. But you say, no, that ain't true. I love Jesus. Jesus is Lord. But who are you trying to convince? Isn't it interesting when anyone brings a word of correction about your sin, you immediately pass them off as unchristlike and judgmental. It's disgusting that it's more of a scandal in this church culture to reprove sin than it is to laugh at it. The one who says sin is wrong is judgmental and the one who commits it and encourages others to do it is Christ-like. How disgusting. You don't want to be like God. You just want people to back off when they start reproving the thing that you were the most in love with. True love for God means true hatred of sin. In Matthew 7 and in Luke 13, Jesus says that many will be telling him on that day that he is the actual Lord of their life, but he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Your professed faith in Jesus means absolutely nothing. You say, well, you know, Nate, you really can't just judge a book by its cover. Well, I heard a great preacher recently say that that whole idea is really an invent of Satan because Jesus said you can judge a book by its cover because in John 15, he said, you will know false prophets by their fruit. Tell me, how long would it actually take you if you walked up to an apple tree and there were fruits of apples all over it for you to say that it was an apple tree a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit that's what jesus said jesus said i am the vine you are the branches he who abides in me and i in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing if anyone does not abide in me he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire no one has to hear what you've been through no one has to know that at one point you got saved all they have to do is look at your fruit you've been serving in church your whole life but look at your fruit for a second. What are the things that come out of your mouth when you talk to people in conversation? What are your affections set toward? Are they God things? You can tell him that you've served in church. You can tell him that he's Lord. But if you die without bearing Christ's fruits, you will go to hell for all of eternity. And 10 million years will pass. And you'll be under the weight of this thing that no human on earth can bear for even a second. And it'll be like no time has passed in eternity. No time. 100 million years passes and... It's the same. You're there. There you are suffering the wrath of God because you believe some lying preacher that was a wolf in sheep's clothing that just tried to encourage you. And so you may be saying, as many already have, hey, you're judgmental, you're unchristlike, you're condescending, you're heavy, you're turning people off by the way that you talk. Can't you see that I want you to live? That is the main purpose of your existence, to live. That is God's number one desire. The biggest problem in the Bible, if you would read it, that God is faced with is that if he is just, he cannot forgive you. Go talk to the lost people on the streets and see if they don't tell you that God is forgiving. They've heard of the tremendous love of God and yet they're still in love with the very sin that crushed and murdered him. And so are many of you. Hey, let's watch a movie tonight. 
What, there's nudity and there's 12 GDs? 140 F words? That's all right. I have freedom in Christ. Freedom from what? Freedom to let some of the worst words that can spill out of a human mouth serve as your entertainment? And yet you still claim that you love him with your whole heart? You make lighthearted gestures at the very things that murdered him? And not only that, but you spit in the bloody face of the Lamb of God as he hangs on the jagged wood, taking your wrath. And you say, don't worry. He forgives. Do you know the character of the God you serve? In the book of Jeremiah, God's people have been wicked by serving other gods and having their affections set on other things and willfully sinning and not saying that they had sinned and not acknowledging their need for God. So we find Jeremiah in chapter 14 repenting, genuine biblical repentance for the people of God. And he said, Lord, we confess our wickedness and that of our ancestors too. We have all sinned against you. For the sake of your reputation, Lord, do not abandon us. Do not disgrace your own glorious throne. Please remember us and do not break your covenant with us. It's really good repentance. It's really genuine. It's better than what most of you have prayed. But what may shock you is God's response. Even if Moses and Samuel stood before me pleading for these people, I wouldn't help them. Away with them. Get them out of my sight. Then he told Jeremiah, do not go to funerals to mourn and show sympathy for these people, for I have removed my peace and my protection from them. I have taken away my unfailing love and mercy. These weren't the lost people of the world, these were his people. So you may be questioning, Nate, why are you saying this? To me, you still sound judgmental. Well, I heard a story of a young man that was dying on his deathbed and his brother was there next to him. And he said, brother, why have you been so indifferent to me about my soul as you have been? And his brother said, indifferent? I haven't been indifferent to you. I, I've spoken to you often about it. And the brother said, yeah, you've spoken. But I think that if you would have remembered that I was going down to hell, you would have been more earnest with me. Every time you hear a sermon and you see a video or you hear a song that's convicting or anything, you have a chance to either repent or to harden your heart. Some of you have watched a video that I've made in the past and you've thought, man, that's really good. Or, or maybe you've told me, hey, I'm going to start changing. Thank you for this and this. But you really haven't decided to go ahead and change and tap into the grace of God. You're hardening your heart against Him. You're making it harder for yourself. Don't make your judgment twice as bad for hearing the word of the Lord and then ignoring it. I'm telling you about hell and I'm telling you that some of you are going to go there unless you repent. But if you harden your heart and you live your whole life and you die and go to hell without repenting, you will look back on the day that you watch this video and from the flames of hell you will curse you will curse the day you were born you will curse this day and you will say I wish I had never even watched that because now I know that he was right now I know that this hell is real that he wasn't just trying to scare me and that I was going I was going to burn there for all of eternity now I see the truth now I see I've got to tell you something very solemn there's nothing in this life that you can do that will take away glory from God. And in the end, He will be glorified in your life. There's a verse of scripture that talks about how for all of eternity, the lake of fire will be open for people to come and see the fierce wrath of God. And they will be able to observe how majestic He is and they will see it with awe in their hearts and they will come back and worship Him. The line of God who stomps His enemies until their blood sprinkles all of His robes, they will come bow before Him and say, Holy, Holy, holy is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. But you know what mercy is? Mercy is that you can choose. And so you choose. Will God be glorified by your damnation and eternal punishment? Or will He be glorified by your salvation and your worship? I realize that a lot of you think I'm crazy. I was told that. But just ask yourself, what is going to matter when you 
or on your deathbed if you get one, and when you're just a few breaths away from death, what is going to matter? Is it going to matter whether or not you've graduated from college? No. Is it going to matter whether or not I've written a song or whether or not I've uh, painted a picture or done anything? Nothing's going to matter when your breath's away from eternity. Don't you think that you'll wish when that time comes that you had really loved God the way you said you did? That you'd actually flip the TV off a little more to study His God-breathed scriptures? I know I will. No matter how much I've done it, I'll know that I wish I would have done it more. But the good news is... Christ is calling. He's calling loud. Wisdom is calling out in the streets. He's calling for you to come. He is holding the door of mercy as wide open as it can go. And he is saying, come and dine with me. To dine with him, you have to die to you. The one whose name you abuse and whose cross you mock by the way that you live is alive and he's coming. But you may die before he does. All you have is now. Every time I listen to it, I see it a little different. And I, and I see some things in here that may be offensive. I, people have said, well, how did God smile when Jesus died? Well, he smiled because we were the fruit of what Jesus was doing. He did not enjoy what Jesus went through, but he enjoyed it for our benefit. But let me ask you a question here. When you think of God's justice system and the kind of people that he's going to welcome into heaven... Will there be liars? Will there be cheaters? Will there be thieves? Will there be gossipers? Will there be slanderers? Will there be drunkards? Will there be sexually immoral? Will there, will there be those that don't obey and honor their parents? Will there be homosexuals and all forms of wrongdoers? No, I, I think when we look at it that way, I think our answer is no. Of course not. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy verse 3, 1, 1 through 7. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. He's talking to the church have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into the homes and gain control over gullible men and women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to, ever, never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. You see, this kind of messages can be so misunderstood as being hard and judgmental and unloving. But I will tell you this is the most loving message a pastor can give the people that he loves. I love you, folks. I really do. Is this offensive? Absolutely it is. The gospel is offensive. Absolutely it's offensive. Rip made a really good point uh, when he was preaching last week. He said, if you're hungry, and if you some, see someone else that's hungrier than you, and they happen to be dumpster diving, if you're hungry, you're going to be dumpster diving with them. It's only the well-fed that are offended. 
It's only the guy driving down the street in his big car, well-fed, just coming out of a big meal, and he happens to see somebody that's hungrier than him in a dumpster going for food, and he says, how offensive. So I'm wondering, spiritually, what's the connotation of that? Can we be offended because we're well-fed? See, and you don't have to have the big sins here. I, I, I was convicted in what I watch on TV. I was convicted with, the, with what I look at and laugh at. Those things Jesus died for. How can I make them part of my entertainment and still be a born-again, sold, sold out for Jesus Christian? Now, that's not legalistic. It's what it is called a conviction, and it's called living for, for holiness and righteousness because that's who Jesus is coming back for. That's the church that he's coming back for. He's not coming back for somebody that's deceived. Have a great worship service, but we go out and we do things that we don't, we shouldn't do. And I'm not making accusations because I don't know if it helps one person here today to check their life, then it's worth it. And maybe for the most of us, it's been just a good confirmation to say, man, I'm glad you showed that because now I can pray for those other people or I can continue to pray for myself that I don't fall. I'm not trying to offend anybody here. But we need to know, we need to remember that God's love and his forgiveness, that he loves and he forgives, but that doesn't mean that he condones what we do. God is love. And we make that, we confuse that with, with condoning. Because he loves me, he'll forgive me so that I can continue to do what I've been doing. That is a deception. There's going to be a lot of professing Christians that are going to hell because they don't understand the difference between forgiveness and condoning. God forgives what you repent of. Forgiveness is a past tense. Forgiveness forgives you for something that you've done in the past and you're truly sorry for it and you're shameful and you're remorseful and you come to him with a repentant attitude and say, Jesus, I am sorry. And when you say that, he forgives and then he forgets. But he, but he will not condone a lifestyle that is still continuing to live in that hypocritical state. I'm talking to Mike. I cannot stand in this pulpit. I cannot stand as a Christian man when I know that there are some things that I give myself a buy on when the Lord grieves over it. Our society is really messed up. My wife and I were in Traverse City yesterday, and we got, happened to get caught in that women's march down there. There was thousands of people down there on the streets. Now, I will tell you that if you happen to see us on TV, we were walking the opposite direction. We would not walk the same direction on the sidewalk. When we got on the sidewalk, we purposely walked the other direction, even if our car was here. We walked this way to go back so we could walk this way against traffic to get to our car. <laughs> I'm telling you that because our, our, we are going against the grain. Janine had a great Sunday school class that talked about this. A great word to us today to how we live holy and righteous, not judgmental and angry, but with a broken heart of love for people that are going to hell and they don't even know it. If that doesn't break your heart, what will? If you're offended by any way in this video, then there is probably a course correction in your life that should be taken. 
And that's okay. It's okay to know that you need to make a course correction. Thank the Lord you know it now. What we're really doing here is that we're giving you the answers to the exam. Consider this a a midterm review of the final that's coming. You want to know what you're going to be tested on? We're talking about it right now. Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and road, broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many, many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. I, mean, I saw, we just saw pictures this week, just yesterday or so, of the inauguration. And the, um, the mall, or the Washington Mall, and the, the huge crowd that was there eight years ago compared to the smaller crowd that was there this year. And some would say they're just spinning it, whatever. But the point I'm trying to make here is that there is no safety in numbers. Just because there's a lot of people there doesn't mean that it's safe to be there. And it doesn't mean that it's just because there's a few there that I'm not saying that everybody on this line is going to heaven and everybody in this line is going to hell. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that you have to make sure that you are walking down the narrow path for yourself no matter what the crowd is doing. No matter what everybody else is doing, you must come up with the conviction of Jesus Christ through the word of God to say, I am going on the narrow road no matter what the broad road is like. And we're all, it's only going to get more difficult as we get closer to the end. And we are getting closer to the end. In fact, I would say that the Bible says in First Thessalonians, I believe, that when they cry peace and safety, then the end comes. And we're getting to that point now, maybe, where maybe we've had the war and rumors of wars. We've had it so much. Everybody's thinking now, we've got this new organization. We've got this new, uh, um, this new president coming in. Now we're going to have peace and safety. Well, get ready, folks. The end might be nearer than we think. Because you start preaching that, you start believing that, and that's what the Bible says. And I'm not telling you that it's happening tomorrow. Don't get me wrong, but I am telling you that you don't know what tomorrow holds for you or me. Personally, my rapture might come this afternoon because I have no idea what's happening in my life. Right? That's an interruption. That's an interruption. That's why we need to take these, these interruptions as serious so that we don't have... The other passage in Matthew, which is a scary one, and not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father, only that man or woman will get into heaven. Not the one that thinks they should because they deserve it. Only the one that does the will of my Father. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? Sounds like a good churchman to me. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. If we don't have our heart lined up on the narrow road, if we're on the wide road thinking that we're going to be friendly with the world and still have that relationship with Jesus, I'm telling you, by God's word, that is deception. Now let's talk about urging. Romans 12.1, Paul, Paul says to the Romans, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He's just not saying, I suggest it. No, he is urging them, passionately urging them, like Nate was in this video, passionately urging us. 
Romans 16, 17 through 18, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but they are own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. I urge you. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 2, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. This morning, I just hope that this message will bring a, either a, a change of course direction Maybe as minor as it, might, as it may be or as major as it may be or maybe this is just a confirmation that you're living for Jesus and you're sold out and amen. Either way, I just want us to take the next few minutes and do a little evaluation of our hearts. We're going to have communion here. And the way I want to do communion this time is I'm not going to serve it corporately. Jackie, if you'd come and just play some music if you would for us, please. And just Jackie. We don't need anybody else. Just Jackie. I just want to make it real simple. But I want to make this an evaluation of our heart. And, you know, that day when, that we, when we take that final exam, it's one-on-one. I'm not coming with my wife. I'm not coming with my pastor. I'm not coming with my family. I'm coming one-on-one. That's what I want communion to be this morning. When you're ready, when you get your heart right with Christ, it may be right now, or you may have to work on a few things. I want you to come up, and you take communion one-on-one with Jesus, because that's the way it's going to be. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done for us. Lord, we are a broken people, or we should be a broken people. Father, I just know that there are things in my life that I need to repent over. Every day I come to you and say, Father, forgive me. I thank you. I thank you that you're calling in the streets. I thank you that your mercy gates are open wide. I thank you, Lord, that you are are turning no man away. Now is the day of salvation. Lord, I do this as a form of worship. Now I ask you, Lord, that you would also examine my heart. If there's one wicked way within me, that's all it takes. Lord, if I come through that that narrow gate of repentance, is so narrow that I can't bring my baggage with me. I can't bring the thing that I'm going to plan on doing when I get through it with me and still be repentant. So I have to leave all this stuff. It's so narrow that it scrapes it off me as I go through that gate of repentance, that narrow gate that puts me in a narrow road. And then I maintain that attitude of repentance as I walk that road carefully, watching myself, keeping my eyes focused on Jesus, keeping Jesus in front of us, as Jim said in his word. So, Father, I repent, and I come to you with a broken heart and I come to you with gratitude and thanksgiving for your forgiveness that I can have that hope 
and that confidence on that day that you are going to say, well done, thou good and faithful, as I faithfully walk in your footsteps. In Jesus' name. Now, as Jackie plays this, I'm going to just encourage you to stay in a moment of prayer. The altars are open. Communion is open. As you're ready, come down and just take the communion cup and the juice and then walk in confidence as you go throughout this day and love Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And Jackie, would you lead us in that song? And let's just thank the Lord and just celebrate now the, the, our heart's commitment toward the Lord as a benediction today. It is my victory.